Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit whbcwaco.org. Uh, CNN recently put out a report, a survey, and in the survey it said that the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, have now become the most dominant religion in America. The nuns are comprised of people who are agnostic, atheists, spiritists. They have no relationship to any religion whatsoever. They are now the dominant group. They make up 23.1% of America, whereas Catholics make up 23%, and evangelicals, that's us, make up 22.5% of the population. They say since 1991, the nuns have grown 266% in America. And I don't think that, uh, that they've, you know, it's because it's CNN or some other media outlet that they've, they've uh, you know, fudged the numbers. They've asked the exact same question for 44 years. So this is not something new under the sun, as the writer of Ecclesiastes tells us. There's nothing new under the sun. They predict that in four to six years that the nuns will be the largest group in America. So what we're running into, what we're seeing happening in the world around us is that society is basically rejecting God and they're rejecting the Easter message. Since that is true, not if it is true, but since that is true, that means we as Christians need to be more intentional about communicating the message of Easter. The fact that you're here today tells me that Easter is somewhere on your radar scope. It's somewhere, it means something in your life, this Easter message. And since we know that the resurrection is true, since we believe the resurrection is true, we have a responsibility to communicate that to a world that has basically rejected it that has refused to believe in the power of the resurrection to resurrect and change lives. It's imperative that we do so. Paul understood this truth. The Apostle Paul, probably the greatest preacher, the greatest evangelist, the greatest missionary, with the exception of Jesus, that ever lived. He understood this. Now, Paul was not politically correct, nor was he theologically tolerant. Uh, He communicated the truth of the message wherever he went. And I think that's why the passage that we're going to look at today is one of the most relevant for us in this world in which we live. As we try to communicate this gospel message to the world in which we live. The setting of our sermon text of the day is the city of Athens, Greece. Athens, Greece is a, is a, is a beautiful city. It's, it's culturally sophisticated. It was, a, it was politically diverse. It was philosophically uh, strong in, in, in what they did. And in the heart of the city of Athens was the Acropolis. And in the Acropolis, there was also a building known as the Parthenon. And the Parthenon was a, a temple that was built to the goddess Athena, who was the goddess of wisdom. It was built 400 years before the time of Jesus. And 50 yards from the, from the Parthenon, was a, a, little, a, a little mountain or a little hill or a crop uh, that rose up uh, that was 30 to 40 feet high. It was called the Areopagus. And from that place, you could view Athens. It was still one of the most fascinating 
and beautiful places I've ever been. When I was in the military, we visited Greece, we visited Athens, and I remember standing on top of that rock. Uh, Areopagos, which was dedicated to the god Ares, the god of war, but then in Roman it became known as the god of Mars, and it became Mars Hill. So you've probably heard the sermon on Mars Hill. And it was here, on this mount, on this crop of rock, as Paul stood amongst the people, he preached probably his greatest sermon to his hardest audience in his toughest setting. Paul was not there in Athens as a sightseer. He was there to share the gospel message. He wanted to bring the light of Jesus Christ in a city that was full of darkness. And I think as we think about the city in which Paul preached, it reminds us much of the world in which we live in today. We are much like modern-day Athens. You see a picture of our beautiful city, Waco, Texas. We're not much different from the city of Athens in the time of Paul. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 17, verses 16 through 34. We're going to look at these words this morning under the heading, Easter for today's world. Now, I'm not going to take the time to read the entire passage. I'm just going to kind of walk you through it, and we'll basically cover every verse. But I want to challenge you to go home and read it on your own. I'm going to give you three truths, and we're going to walk through the text this morning. The first thing we see is because of Easter, our passion should be stirred. Because of Easter, our passion should be stirred. Look at verse 16 of the passage. While Paul was waiting for them, he's talking about Silas and Timothy and those that were traveling with him. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Now remember the setting. Athens was no ordinary city. Athens was an important city. It was a city that had magnificent temples. It had beautiful artwork. Work. It had these extravagant buildings. It had uh, beautiful sculptures. It had these, these great philosophers and these powerful orators. And it had spectacular scenery. It was a wonderful place to be. It was the cultural and intellectual center of the Roman Empire. Pythagoras invented the modern means of mathematics in the city of Athens. Along with that, they, they came up with the geometrical principles of math. They also, the science of astronomy was, came about from the city of Athens. In Athens, Socrates trained his student uh, uh, Plato, and Plato trained his student Aristotle. And from that, they developed the basis of modern-day philosophy and logic. And you would never believe it that the cradle of democracy was founded on the, modern, on the city of Athens. That's where we get our modern-day government, was many of the, the things that came out of Athens, Greece. This was an important city. But not only was it an important city, it was an ignorant city. Look at verses 22 through 23. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagos, Mars Hill, and he said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. He's congratulating them. He's commending them. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your object of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Now what you worship is something unknown. I am going to proclaim to you. Athens was intellectually brilliant. They were educationally advanced. They were philosophically astute. But they were spiritually dumb. 
They knew many things, but they didn't know the most important things. They knew about creation, but they did not know about the Creator. As a matter of fact, this word that's used here for unknown is in the Greek is where we get the modern-day word agnostic. That God is, it cannot be known. He's unknown. We cannot know Him. This is where we get that word. And Paul looked over the city, and he looked over the people, and it broke his heart. Why was Paul's heart broke over the people of Athens? Because they could know God, but they did not know God. He said, there's only God. There's only one God. And they do not know Him, and it broke his heart. That they could not know God. In reality. So it was an important city. An ignorant city is also an idolatrous city. Look at verse 16. He said he saw that the city was full of idols. One version, one translation says the city was given over to idols. In fact, every public building in the city of Athens was dedicated to a god. One Athenian uh, scholar said this. He said, it's easier to meet a god in Athens than to meet a man. Why is that? Because the city of Athens was comprised of 10,000 people, but there were 30,000 statues of gods in Athens, Greece. So like the world today, the people in Athens were drinking from wells that would never satisfy their thirst. They were eating from bread that would never satisfy their hunger. The temple was filled with people who were empty of spirituality. Verse 23, Paul says about this God that you do not know. He says, what you worship is something unknown. That's what I want to proclaim to you. What you worship is something unknown. Notice what Paul says. He says they worship a what. They don't worship a who. And that was the difference from that. Let me ask you a question, my friends. Do you worship the who, or do you worship a what? You see, that determines everything. Are you worshiping a who, or are you worshiping a what? One translation of the Bible says that Athens was smothered by, or smothered or swamped by idols. Now, we might think it's a thing of the past. You know, that was something that was going on in the first century in the city of Athens, and we would think it wouldn't have anything to do with us. But let me tell you something, America is swamped with idols. It's the same gods, we just call them by, by different names. There are some people that worship, worship other people. You know, they worship athletes, they worship celebrities, or they worship anybody that makes them happy, anybody that, that brings them happiness in their life. Uh, how many people this week worship Tiger Woods? And what he's done, you know, he put a, a, a ball in a hole and won a jacket and millions of dollars. But surely life consists of more than being able to play golf. But people worship individuals. People worship other people. People worship the God of fame. People worship the God of fortune. People worship the God of fitness. People worship the God of fun. They're the same gods. They're just different names is all they are. In verse 16, Paul was greatly distressed. His heart was stirred. 
His heart was stirred with this. Why? Why was he so distressed over a city that he had no connections to? It's because Satan was stealing the hearts of people that God had created. Satan was stealing their hearts. That's why he was so upset. Because they could know God, but they did not know God. They could know Jesus, but they did not know Jesus. They could know the power of the resurrection, but they did not know the power of the resurrection. And so Paul was stirred in his his heart. He was greatly distressed for what he saw. And his passion was to share the gospel message with those individuals. We should have that same passion in our own lives. I remember hearing the story of a, of a woman who was uh, selling uh, cosmetics at a, at, a, at, a, at a department store. Uh, and she was working with two customers when a lady comes running in out of breath and she grabs the sales lady by the arm and she goes, Do you still have Elizabeth Taylor's passion? And the sales lady was quick to say, Lady, if you think if I had her passion, I'd be working here. The fact of the matter is, we should have a tremendous passion for the gospel, for the power of the resurrection. Listen, if the resurrection is, hear me on this, if the resurrection is not true, then nothing matters, really. Nothing matters. But if the resurrection is true, then nothing else matters. Nothing else So that's the first truth. Because of Easter, our passion should be stirred. Second, because of Easter, our preaching should be simple. Look at verse 17. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day, with those who happened to be there. Notice where he talked first. The first thing he did is he went to the church of the day, the synagogue. He went to the synagogue because they were the people that at least had some concept of God. He, were, he talked to the Jews and, and the, the ethnic Greeks that were there. He spoke to those individuals and he shared with them the truth of the resurrection. But not only did he talk to the religious people, the Bible also says that he went into the marketplace and he shared the gospel of the resurrection in the marketplace. And you get the idea from reading the text that it wasn't just an intentional thing. It wasn't something he planned a day to go there. This is something he did on a day-to-day account. As he was in the marketplace, he shared with the people who was there. I imagine that, that Paul went down to the local coffee shop cafe cappuccino or dichotomy or wherever it was, and he shared the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I imagine that Paul went down to the local meat market uh, to get him some lamb or something like that. He'd never buy pork, okay? He went down and bought some lamb or, or, or something like that. And while he was there, you know what he did? He talked about the resurrection and he talked about the gospel. I imagine Paul went down to the local vegetable market uh, we could say he went to H-E-B here. But he went to the local vegetable market. And while he was there shopping for vegetables, he talked about the resurrection and the power of the gospel. In other words, wherever Paul was in the marketplace, he communicated the resurrection. So he talked to the religious people. He talked to the irreligious people. The people in the marketplace. But verse 18 also talks about another uh, group of people. Look at verse 18. 
in your Bible. It says, a group of Epicureans and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this, because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So he talks about two groups of people. These are the intellectuals in society. We could say these could be professors at a local school. These are the Epicureans were, were basically the, the modern, they were the playboys of the day. This was their philosophy. They said, life is short, enjoy it. Eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow you might die. Live life to the fullest. And along with them was the Stoics. The Stoics were the individuals that believed, hey, life is full of pain, all you can do is endure it. Can you imagine these two getting together and talking? That's what they did. Uh, they debated, they discussed, they dialogued back and forth, and then here comes Paul right in the middle of them to talk with them and discuss those things. When I hear the setting that Paul was in, it reminds me that we're living in the same age as Paul. Paul was there meeting with the equivalent of PhDs and nuclear physicists and brain surgeons and college professors and brilliant attorneys. Was he intimidated? Was Paul worried about what he was going to say? Did, did he try to come up with some brilliant scheme and try to match wits with these uh, tremendous scholars and philosophers of the day? Did he come up with some complex philosophical argument? No. You know what he did? Christianity 101. That's what he did. He went right back to the basics of Christianity and talked to them about those things. He said, I want to talk to you about the God that you can know. I want to talk about this guy. And so look at verses 24 and 25 of the passage. He said, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And He's not served by human hands as if He needed anything because He Himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. First thing He says is that God is a creating God. And the word He uses for creating God here is God, the cosmos. That would have uh, implication there in, in Athens. He, he's, it's, he said, look, this world is not a cosmic accident, and neither are you. I imagine as Paul spoke these words, he looked at these great buildings, uh, the great uh, Parthenon, and, and he, said, he said, you don't make a home for God. God has made a home for you. God doesn't dwell in temples made by, by man. God wants to dwell in the hearts of men. God is not a creation in our image. We are created in His image. We're not the work of... Uh, we can't do anything with the work of our hands for Him. God, He wants us to worship Him from our hearts. But don't as they say He's a creator God. He said, also says He's a controlling God. We look at verses 26 through 28. He says, from one man He made every nation of men. Y'all know who He's talking about, Adam, right? From one man He made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And He determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek Him and perhaps reach out for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are His offspring. When I think of this passage... I remember the time I lived in Central America and I worked with the, the poor in Latin America. And I remember that if it wasn't for the grace of God, 
I could have been raised a poor Indian living in the Guatemalan hills that to this day do not have the Bible in their own language and have never heard the gospel. Or I could have been raised in abject poverty in the squatters, squatter villages of Guatemala City would never have the opportunity to attend church. Listen, where you live, where you were born, where you live, the place where you were and what you're born into is all controlled by God. God is the one that determines all of that. Paul says God is the personal creator who makes everything, but He's also the powerful Lord who sustains everything. To, to drive that home, look at verse 28, he says, For in Him we live and move and have our being. He's the, think about that. Paul says, in Him we live. He, he's the power supply of life. He says, in Him we, have, we, we move. Motion finds its ultimate drive in God Himself. He says, without Him, uh, without Him, we'd be stagnant, we'd be immobile, and we'd be lifeless. And finally, he says, in Him, we find our being. As a matter of fact, it's because of Him we exist at all. And that's where we find our identity. And then he says in verse 27, He's not far from each one of us. He said, even though God is the Creator, even though He's controlling, He's not that far away. He's not that far away, but there's a problem. There's a problem. If God is so close to it, why don't we sense Him? Why don't we feel Him? Why, don't, why can't we have a, a relationship with Him? It's because of sin, which has separated us from God. That's where Jesus comes in. That's why this day is so important. It's why the resurrection changes everything. Everything. Look at the last part. Because of Easter, our purpose should be steady. Because of Easter, our purpose should be steady. That's why I love verse 18 and, and, and what, it, what it says in that passage. It says that Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Nothing fancy. Nothing sophisticated. Uh, he just said, talked about Jesus and the resurrection. Why is that so important? Because that's really what life comes down to, my friends. That, that's really what, what, what it's all about. Life comes down to this. Is the message of Easter true or false? That's what life comes down to. Is it true or is it false? Listen, I've said it before and I will say it again. If Jesus Christ is not alive, nothing really matters. You will die and you will be worm food if Jesus Christ is not alive. But, if Jesus Christ is alive, nothing else matters. That's the crux. That's the pivotal point. That's the question we must ask. And Paul said the Easter message is for everyone. We've already talked about in verse 17 that Paul spoke to the spiritual people. Who were the spiritual people? They had religion without reality. They had religion without a relationship to Jesus Christ. I met a guy yesterday at the park. 
talking about serving in the community, which we're going to do next week. He goes, well, I'm all about that. I said, yeah, we want to serve our community and tell them about Jesus. I'm not really into that second part. I'm not really into that Jesus stuff. And so we, did, we talked for two or three minutes, and I invited him to come. Come work with us. Come serve alongside us, and we'll see if just a little bit of Jesus might rub off on you. Yeah, I'm not really interested in Jesus, but I sure like to help people. Reality. Reality. But it's not just for spiritual people. It's for also for secular people. As verse 17 says, he spoke to those in the marketplace. Those just happened to be here. They were curious people. And he spoke to them. But he also spoke to the sophisticated people. We already talked about them. The, the philosophers of the day, the, uh, the PhDs of the day. He spoke to all those people. What was his message? The resurrection. The gospel. That's what he spoke to them. He gave them all the same choice. Look at verses 30 to 31. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now He commands all people everywhere to repent. For He has set a day when He would judge the world with justice by the man He has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising Him from the dead. Basically, here's what He said. He gave them all the same message. It's either repent or retribution. Repentance or retribution. That's probably not a real seeker-friendly sermon that he gave. He wasn't going to make friends and influence people uh, by that. But see, Paul didn't care. Paul wasn't interested in that. Now, such a, such a command, you know, repent or retribution. Here's what he says. Look, you're either going to deal with Jesus now and receive in repentance, or he will deal with you at a later date. He said, that's really what it comes down to. You either repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ and have forgiveness of your sins, or if you do not, then you will pay for your rejection of Him in the time. That's what He told all of them. Uh, think of it this way. Think of it if you have a cancerous growth. And I know some people here have experienced cancer. Suppose you have a cancerous growth and the doctor comes to you and says, we need to remove this cancer from your body. If we don't remove this cancer from your body, you're probably going to die. And you say, I don't really like that. I tell you, you know, I live a good life. I pay all my bills. You know, I'm kind to my wife. I'm kind to my, my, my children. You know, I, I don't do anything to hurt one anybody. I think I'm just going to let my good nature, my good works, and that will get rid of the cancer. You know what that doctor's going to say to you? <laughs> He's going to kind of snicker a little bit. He says, well, that could be all good. He said, but I'm going to tell you what, your good life, it's not going to help you in what you discover. If you don't do anything about this cancer, you'll be good and dead. It's the same way with our spiritual life. We have a disease within us called sin. And no matter, no amount of good living, church going, singing songs is going to do that if we don't get rid of the sin. You've got to get rid of it. This is what Paul was saying to the individual's in this passage, he was saying men everywhere must repent because repentance and faith in the resurrected Lord is the only way that we can be saved. Let me tell you why our purpose should be steady. And then we'll close. Look at verses 32 to 34. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them were Dionysius, 
a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Demarius, and a number of others. Here's what we see. As the gospel was presented, there was disrespect. Some people just disrespected him, mocked him, sneered at him, made fun of him. You know what? They're still going to do it today. They're still going to do it. There was also division within them. Uh, some people said, eh, you know, hey, Paul, we're going to think about this. We'll, we'll get back with you on this. Uh, they weren't quite mocking, but they said, yeah, we'll talk about it a little bit later. So there was disrespect, there was division, but guess what? There was also a decision. There's also a decision. The Bible says a few were saved. Not a great amount. And we would say, well, it wasn't a great harvest. We say there, there wasn't very many people saved. Just a few. We know of two by name. They were probably significant to, to the readers of Acts. They knew who these individuals were. But not a few. We know that two were saved and a few others. Maybe four, five, six. We don't know the exact amount. But here's the point. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was proclaimed. That's really what matters. That the resurrection of Jesus Christ was preached. Easter was presented to a lost city. Which is what we should do on a regular basis. And I don't know if this was even an Easter sermon that Paul preached. But it certainly had Easter as its theme, didn't it? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. You too must make a decision. You've got to make a decision. Is this resurrection real? Or is it just a fable? It doesn't really have any significance for your life or my life today. Let me end with this story. True story. There was a Buddhist in Africa who became a follower of Jesus. And someone asked him, he said, why would you leave the, the religion of Buddha, the Buddhist religion, and follow Jesus Christ? These were his words. He said, if you were walking along and came to a fork in the road, and two men were there, and one was dead and the other was alive, which man's directions would you follow? Which man's direction would you follow? I would follow the one who's seen death, but is now alive. Because he knows the reality of the situation. And that's really the only question you have left to ask. Are you going to follow the word of a Savior who was dead, but now is alive forevermore? Are you going to follow some dead philosopher who has no power to change your life? That's the message of Easter. That is the, the message of Easter for a lost world, for our world today. And hear me, that is the message for Waco, Texas. The same message that Paul preached over almost 2,000 years ago is the same message that we need to be preaching in Waco, Texas to a city that desperately needs the message of Jesus Christ. In a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. I know we're running a little late. So we won't, we won't belabor the point. We won't drag it out. I'm going to have Kip come and lead us in a closing song. I'm going to give this microphone over to him. I'll be here at the front. Marcia will make her way down here. If you want to pray with somebody, you want to find out, hey, what I got to do to receive Jesus as my Savior, we can tell you how to do that. But we're here for you. Would you stand with me as I lead us in a time of prayer? Father God, we come before you this morning. Thank you for this opportunity you've given to us to be here, to worship, to share the message, Father. Now, Lord, help us to leave here, Father, ready to share the gospel message. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.